We're in Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is, is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, Ward, and I appreciate you, Seth. While you're finding your seats, will you bow with me as we pray and ask God for his help this morning? Father, I pray that you would please help us to see the truth that you have for us in your word this morning. I pray that you would open hearts to believe the truth, Lord, just like you did to Lydia that day when Paul was preaching. You say in your word that you opened her heart to believe. So, Lord, we pray that you would please do that for any in this room that might not know you yet. Lord, please save souls. And also use your word this morning to build up your people, to build up your saints, to continue to grow your church and help us to be like your dear son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to learn the lesson here that you have for us in your word. We pray this in your son's perfect name. Amen. Well, as you know, in the scriptures and just in life, we are told that we are not supposed to be vain. When someone's vain, it means they are focused on their own image, right? Focused too much on their own image. And uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes even says, vanity, and vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Because he looked around and he just saw so much in the world that was just all about building up self. And so we, we know it's really not good to focus on your own image, is it? Well, I've titled the message this morning, um, It's All About My Image. Because I want to actually show you that it is actually all about your image. And if you'll listen closely to this sermon, you'll see what I mean, because I just seemed to contradict myself, didn't I? Here we are, another group of people have come to Jesus, trying to trap him again. You might recall that in our last chapter, the group that came to Jesus, we learned in Mark eleven eighteen, it says that formerly it was the chief priests and the scribes that came to him, basically said, hey, what authority are you doing this? By whose authority are you doing these things? And it says that he told the parable that we heard last week against them. If you missed that sermon, it's online. Uh, please listen to that. But it says this, that now we see the Pharisees and some of the Herodians have come to him. We're going to see next week that the Sadducees come to him. If you don't know who they are or what they're about, then come next week to hear what they have to say to Jesus. So these different groups are taking turns trying to catch Jesus, assault him in some way, trip him up in some way, basically show to everyone that he's false, actually. And of course, what happens with Jesus is anytime someone tries to trap him, trick him, embarrass him, contradict him, they walk away 
ashamed. So the Pharisees and some of the Herodians are the ones who come to him this time. What, who rather, are the Herodians? We know who the Pharisees are. But who are the Herodians? We don't hear much about them. What are, what are they? And why are, is it important that they came to speak to Jesus today? Why should we even care? Well, they were a loosely organized group that sought to advance the political and the economic influence of the family of Herod. So they were connected to the family of Herod. Who was Herod? You might remember when Jesus was born, there was a king, Herod, who put all the male children, two years old and under, to death. Remember that, Herod? Well, the Herod we're talking about now, that's alive at the time of Jesus, when Jesus is roughly 33 now, not a little baby anymore, this is that man's son. His name is Herod Antipas. This is the family of Herod that's in control right now. They have a group of people around that family, connected to that family, that is very interested in seeing that family built up, stay in power, and stay rich. Why? Well, because if the family of Herod stays rich, well, then so do they. So what we see here is we actually see that the religious party of the Pharisees and the political party of the Herodians have teamed up. They're usually enemies because the Pharisees, who were like the police officers for the law, they didn't really like the family of Herod because he said he walked around, pranced around, saying, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew. But he did not live like a Jew, not at all. And that burned them up because they're all about keeping the law perfect and pure and right and good. And then here's Herod over here acting so immorally. And it was clear to everyone. That's why John the Baptist, as you recall, stood in his courts and said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's son. (laughs) Brother's son, wow. (laughs) That would be even worse. (laughs) Your brother's wife. (laughs) Though I wouldn't put it past Herod. And so the Pharisees and the Herodians They weren't friends. They didn't even like each other. But now they have a common enemy in Jesus. And so they say, let's team up. Neither one of us like him. Neither one of us want him around. He's a threat to both of us. Let's team up momentarily. And so they do against their common enemy. And then what do we see in verse 14? And they came to him and said, teacher... We know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Well, first of all, I want you to notice here their words. Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. Luke 20, 21, his version of this says, and show no partiality. That's what that basically means. For you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Luke's account of this also gives us a bit, a, a bit more information about what's really going on here. Do they really think what they're saying? Do they really mean what they're saying? Of course not. How could they? <laughs> Luke 20 20 says that these men pretended to be sincere. That's the way Luke says. They pretended to be sincere. So what do we see here? What are they doing? Well, we call this flattery. Flattery. 
did you know that the Bible heavily condemns flattery? It's like, it's spoken about a lot in the scriptures how bad it is. We have that saying, oh, you flatter me, things like that, or flattery will get you everywhere. You know, we, we have those sayings, right? Because who doesn't like to hear all these niceties about himself or herself? But what is flattery? Well, flattery is when you heap praise upon someone whether you believe it or not, for some type of selfish gain. That's what flattery is. When you heap this praise upon someone, whether it's true or not, for your own interests. Listen to what Psalm 5.9 says, referring about the wicked, referring to the wicked, this is what it says they're like. It says, there's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave, which Paul quoted in Romans 3. They flatter with their tongue. Flattery is a characteristic of the wicked, according to the Psalms. This is how the wicked act. They flatter. Psalm 12.3 shows David's sentiment, shows David's heart desire for people that flatter. Listen to Psalm 12.3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. So what David thinks about those who flatter in Psalm 12:3 is he says, "Lord, I hate flattery so much. I want you to cut off the lips of those who flatter. I don't want them to ever be able to talk again." Essentially is what he's saying. That's the wrath I want you to bring down upon them. The Bible's hard on flattery. This is not good. Listen to what Proverbs 29:5 says, "A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet." Those who flatter someone else are setting a trap for them, which is exactly what we see the Pharisees and the Herodians were doing. They were trying to trap Jesus in his talk. That's what our verse says, the very first verse of our section here, verse 13. They tried to trap him in his talk. They were spreading a net for his feet. The Pharisees should have known that this was wrong. They would have known the Proverbs. But they were flattering him. Now, I like what they said about him, though, and what they said about him was actually true, and would that it would be true for all of us. Listen to what they say. We know that you're true. Who doesn't want to be true in this room? You don't care about anyone's opinion, meaning you show no partiality. You're not swayed by appearances. Don't you want that to be true of you, too? Don't you want to be the same person no matter whether you're speaking to someone with great influence who, if he shows favor upon your life, might mean you become very, very wealthy? Or if you're talking to someone who really society looks down upon and kind of thinks is like gutter trash, you still speak the same way to him or her as well. Don't you want to be that way? You don't want appearances. You don't want people's status to make you act differently. I want to be that way, and I hope with God's help I am that way. I really don't care who's sitting in this congregation. I'm going to preach the same. And then lastly, they say, but truly teach the way of God. Don't you want that to be true about you? I want people to say this about me, but mean it. (laughs) Not flattery. Not trying to get something from me. And don't you want people to say this about you? I know you do. 
And you can, with God's help. You can be this person with God's help. This is how Jesus was. They said it, but they didn't mean it, but it was still true. So then they come up with their question. Verse 14, the beginning's all about their flattery. Second part of verse 14, now we get their questions, two of them, which is very clear. They want a yes or no answer. The way they're wording it is like yes or no. Give us a yes or no answer. Look at this. Is it lawful to pay taxes or not? Should we pay them or should we not? They're wanting a yes or a no. Why are they wanting a yes or a no? Well, because they know how Jesus is. They know he doesn't usually say yes or no. They, they know he usually says, well, let me tell you a parable. And they're like, forget that. Give us a clear answer. I used to have a pastor that, as you know, most pastors have the gift of gab, right? They're like, yes, Cohen, we know they do. And he was very, uh, you couldn't even finish your question before he started answering it. And it was kind of like, no, 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 that's not what I was going to ask you. If you'd just like be quiet and listen for five seconds, you'd know that I'm going to ask you something different. <laughs> so one day, because I, I didn't want the 15-minute answer, I wanted a yes or no, because I, I, I knew him well enough. So I said, yes or no, okay, yes or no. And then I said, I asked him about the Masons, you know, the Masons, that Shriners and all that. I just said, listen, yes or no? Masons, Shriners, all that. And he said his answer, which was no. And then he told me, and then he was like, and I'll tell you why. And I was stuck for 15 minutes. But it was, it was a good explanation, but I just, I needed to get out of there. And he couldn't. Well, they knew Jesus was like this too. But everything he said was worth listening to. Everything he said was definitely worthwhile. So was my pastor for the most part but still. And they said, we just want a yes or no. Should we or should we not? Answer us. Well, they knew that if Jesus said yes, this is why they got him if he said yes. Well, there was a number of Jews who had issues with paying taxes to a pagan ruler. Okay? The Caesars, I don't know if you knew this about them, but some of the Caesars considered themselves to be like little gods, like essentially a deity. Okay? They really did. So some of the Jews had a problem with this because they believed that they would be contradicting God's rule over them if they paid their taxes. It's almost like they felt like we're almost like paying a tithe to him if we pay him his taxes, which he said, this is my part of your money. So that they didn't like that. They felt we're contradicting God's rule over us. We're, we're disobeying God or not showing God honor if we pay our taxes to this pagan man who thinks he's a little God. So we are not going to do that. A number of Jews held that view. So they knew if he says yes, these Jews will retaliate against him. And we got him. But what if he says no? That's where the Herodians came in. They, they piped up and said, well, if he says no, then we got him. Let me tell you how. If he says no, don't pay your taxes, we'll report back to Herod, who was on Caesar's payroll, by the way. He was just a puppet king put in place by Caesar to be a Jewish king so that Caesar could put words in his mouth and say things to the Jews from a Jew, and they would say, well, our king says we're supposed to do this, when really it's just Caesar saying it. And everybody knew that. Everybody knew that. But then they could go back to Herod and say, hey, there's this young rabbi is telling people not to pay taxes to you. That would get back to Caesar, and Rome would squash him. So, essentially, here's how it went. 
Pharisees thought, if he says yes, we got him. And the Herodians thought, if he says no, we got him. Catch 22. Whatever way you answer, we've got you. We have set a trap for your feet. But Jesus is no ordinary man, is he? He is the God-man. And he knows our thoughts before we think them. And he knows the word before it's even on our tongue. And he knew the hearts of these men. And so he knew verse 15 was true. But knowing their hypocrisy, he says to them. Knowing their hypocrisy. He could see into their hearts. He could see into their souls, into their minds, into their motives. Just like he can see into your heart and your mind and see your real motive. God also knows your hypocrisy as well, if it's there. He knows when you're being fake. He knows when you're being false. He knows when you're just checking things off the list. I did that for a long time. You probably did too before you came to faith. If you've grown up in the South for any time at all, you know it's sort of culturally acceptable for you to go to church and give a little wink towards God and be there for Easter and all that. Make sure you do Christmas stuff and, and be there for your child's Christmas play and clap and, and all that, right? Give a little wink to God. And, you know, don't murder people and, and don't rob banks. And, and then you'll have a funeral one day and everybody will say, he was such a good man, he'd give you the shirt off his back. And we know he's in heaven because of that. And Jesus never came up in your whole life. That's how I was raised, weren't you? I mean, if you've been raised in the South for very, for very long, that's just worked into your DNA. And it's hypocrisy, and it's false, and it's damning souls. And it's serious. That's why we are committed to being a congregation that stands on this. Because we care about souls, don't we? That's why we have church membership. And that's why we take that seriously as well. Because we take truth seriously. Because we love people. Right? I hope you do. Because I love you. That's why I'm giving you the truth. I'm not swayed by where you are in life. It matters not to me how much you tithe or don't. I hope that you're tithing, of course, what you're supposed to, but I mean, I don't get paid more or less either way. I'm not in it for the money. <laughs> yeah, if you, want, if you want big money, the ministry's not your gig. <laughs> but the retirement benefits are out of this world. Listen, we are devoted to truth, and that's why the Lord Jesus had such strong words to say against hypo hypo hypocrisy and hypocrites, okay? Here's the thing. Here's the good news for you, though. If you know for sure that you are living a hypocritical life, okay, you've recognized it. Praise Jesus for that. Your next step now is to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. He's kind and gracious to sinners, he is, especially ones who know they're sinners, hate that sin, want to be changed, want to be forgiven, want a new life in Jesus. He's offering that to anyone today who'll have it, free. 
He took the punishment for your sins already on the cross. The price has been paid. Your part is to repent of your sins and by faith to receive him, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ like you would put on a parachute. You trust it. You know it's going to save you. And Jesus paid for your sins and showed that the price was paid when he raised from the dead. These men, however, were far from that. He knew their hypocrisy. And he asked them two questions. Verse 15, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. That's a silver coin, by the way, that was worth uh, a day's wages. They brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? That was the second question. They said to him, Caesar's. First question, why put me to the test? He had a right to ask that question. You know why he had a right to ask that question? Because unlike Caesar, who thought he was God, this man really was God. And in Deuteronomy, you know what it says? You shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Why do you test me? Why put me to the test? I had no right to be doing that. This was God. And you don't put the Lord your God to the test. So he had full right to ask that question. And then this question was just an observation question for the next one. Holds up the coin. It's got the image of Caesar on it. Just like our coins have the images of our presidents on it. Whose likeness? An inscription is this, and they said, Caesar's. The coin contained the image of Caesar, therefore it belonged to Caesar. He made it, stamped his image on it, showed that this is mine. You were made in the image of God and bear his image, therefore you belong to God. That's why I said earlier, is it all about my image? Yes, it's all about your image because you've been made in the image of God and therefore you belong to God. And that's why Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. What does it mean to render? Well, it's more than just giving. It's more than just give. That word render comes from a Greek word, apodote. It means to give what is due. To give what is due. In Romans 13, 7, Paul uses the exact same Greek word. It's in the exact same tense, even. Romans 13, 7. Let me find it and read it to you. He says this. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Actually, um, Wade and Tiffany, can we bring that one up on the screen? It is Romans 13, 7. I want everyone to see this, and I should have sent that to you all earlier. Romans 13, 7. It'll be up here in just a second. But that word that he starts the sentence off with, pay to all what is owed them, it's the exact same Greek word that's used in Mark that's translated render. Render unto Caesar what Caesar's? And to God, what's God? Pay to Caesar's what's Caesar's. Pay to God what's God's. To give what is due. That's what he means there. That's the same, I'm telling you, is the exact same Greek 
word in the exact same tense and everything. It means to give to someone what is rightfully theirs. And we, we're told by Jesus Christ, are to give to God what's rightfully his. And why are we to do that? Because we bear his image. Jesus can hold us up and say, whose image and likeness does this person have on him? God's. That's why we are to give to God what is God's. Well, when it comes to that, you and I, since we've been made in the image of God and therefore belong to God, we owe him the glory that we were made to give him. Isaiah says, bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who I've made for my glory. You were made to glorify God. That's where you find your greatest purpose is in glorifying God. That's what you were made to do. My dad's taught me a saying in the past that you're supposed to use the right tool for the right job. Those of us in here who've been around tools and building and things like that before, you know, you've, you've used a wrench before or something like that to try to hammer in a nail. You know, you, you've used a crescent wrench to try to get something to go. You didn't have a hammer. You thought, I'll use this. And it doesn't work out so well. I've seen crescent wrenches destroyed when they were used for things they weren't supposed to be used for. You've got to use the right tool for the right job. Why? Because when you use the right tool for the right job, it just fits. It just works. You say, perfect. Now it went exactly like I wanted it to go. Your life begins when you fall into what you were made for, which is to glorify God. That's when your life begins. Your life kind of messed up, not making sense, not really feeling like something's off here. Have you been born again? That's when your life starts, when you're born again. Sure, you're born once of the flesh, but you're really born for real when you're born of the Spirit because that's when you become in the real image of Christ. All men bear the image of God when they're born, but guess what? The image has been marred. It's been messed up by sin. We still have it. There's still something about every man that is special. We're different from every other being God's ever made. We're at the top of the food chain for the most part. Uh, we can subdue animals and things like that. We have a will to choose. We have these emotions. Most importantly, we have a soul that will never die. It's going to live on forever either in heaven or in hell where men take the punishment for their own sins or in heaven where they accept Christ, and he's the one who took the punishment for their sins. Remember, everyone in hell deserves to be there. No one in heaven deserves to be there. And so we have a soul that will live on forever. That's also part being made in the image of God. But we've marred that image through our sin. How do we get that back? How does it get made right? Well, once you repent and turn to Jesus Christ, believing that his sacrifice on the cross was him taking the punishment for your sins. Well, the image of God that you bear, that's when it gets fixed. 
Let's bring up that text that I had from Romans, please, sir. Um, because somehow I walked out without my last page of notes. So we're going to have to wing it with God's help. Talking about the image of Christ being repaired, the image of God, rather, being repaired in Christ. Look at Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. When you get saved, when you're born again, that image of God that's marred by sin gets fixed because now you've been born into the image of his dear son. That's why I said it's all about image. You bear the image of Christ. It was marred through sin, repaired through Jesus. Isn't that cool? Have you seen this before? Have you made these connections before? The image that you bear is so very important. The first thing that we owe to God, because Jesus says, render to God what's God's, the first thing we owe to him, of course, is our repentance. That's the very first thing we owe to him. That's the very first thing that is, is his due. Why? Because we have offended him. We have broken his laws. All of us. None of us in here can say, yes, I've perfectly kept his Ten Commandments. Perfectly. Never lied. Never stolen. Always perfectly honored my father and my mother. Never looked on someone with lust and had adultery in my heart. Never done any of those things. Not ever. So the first thing we owe him is our repentance. That's why when... Jesus gave the disciples their first assignment. You might recall that they went out, and in Mark 6, 12, it says they went out and they proclaimed the gospel, teaching everyone that they should repent. <laughs> it's the first thing. They went out saying, repent. Why? Because that's the first step to being reconciled to your father. Just like when you're in a relationship and someone has wronged you badly. You don't just see them the next day and act like everything's all good, do you? No, there's been a great wrong done, and now there needs to be what we call reconciliation. And how that happens is the one who's done the wrong then says, I'm sorry for what I did. That was wrong of me. I should not have done that. Will you forgive me? Right? That's what repentance is. Repentance is us going to God say, I know I've broken your laws. I know I'm guilty. I know I, de I deserve your punishment. Will you please forgive me? I'll turn away from that. I know it's separating you and I. That's, that, that's repentance. And then the other side of that coin is faith, putting our faith and trust in Jesus. That's what reconciles us to God. That's what gets us into the image of Christ and starts to repair that image that we've broken. What do we owe God? What's due Him? Our love, our respect, our obedience, honor. We will not even want to give Him those things, however, until there's been a change in our heart. If you still got the old heart of stone, you'll act with a stony heart towards God. You'll act that way. It won't be real, even if you start to do it. It will be just going through the motions like I did in the past. 
But the Bible says when we get saved, he takes out the heart of stone and puts in a living heart of flesh. It's called the rebirth, being born again. And only then do you even want to give those things to God. You want to start obeying him and honoring him and loving him. Samuel and I were talking this morning about that's why God made us with a will because he wants us to willingly love him. All of you want love in your life. I know you do. I don't even have to guess. All of you want to be loved. Now what if I made a robot that looked just like a human being, had skin just like a human being, hair and everything, but it was a robot? And I programmed it to say to you all day long, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Would that mean anything to you? (laughs) Why? Because it's a robot. It's not doing it from a, a heart that is a real heart of love, isn't it? I mean, it's not. The reason why love can be real is because someone's voluntarily choosing to love you out of their own heart because they want to. That's why it feels so good, right? When someone really loves you. What do you owe to God? Love from a genuine, real heart. And you're only going to do that through Jesus Christ, however. You're only going to do it through Christ. Struggling with loving God right now? Okay. Okay. Turn away from those things that are separating you from him. Trust him in his word when he tells you your sin that you think is bringing you pleasure, it's actually damning you. It's taking you to hell. Turn from it. Put your faith in Christ who already took the punishment for you because he loves you. He chose to do it out of a heart of love, not as a robot, but as someone who really loves you. And only then will the image be restored properly and you'll give to God what you were actually made to give him and fall right in place and be that person. Fall in line with what you were made for to love him and glorify him forever. I pray you will receive this word this morning. Will you bow with me? Father, we thank you so much that you have sent your son to repair in us that image that has been marred by sin. And we thank you, Lord, that your image is stamped on us. And we thank you that in Christ, we can become more Christ-like as we walk in faith and obedience to your word. Father, I pray that as you continue to speak these truths to our hearts, that you would help us to be like Jesus. And we pray this in Christ's perfect name. Amen.